are listening to the SLT Podcast, a resource to encourage and equip Liberty Christian School families for a Christ-centered life. Well, welcome into the first SLT Podcast of 2020, New Year, same old spiritual life team. I'm Sam. I'm Courtney. And I'm Taylor. And today we are going to be tackling the topic of reconciliation. But before we get into that, we're going to have a little bit of fun. So I have here a list of the top 10 most common New Year's resolutions. Okay. So uh, you guys are going to guess what they are. So any guesses? Okay. Uh, Ding. Are we okay. buzzing in? Uh, sure. I'm just kidding. But I think one for sure that everyone always talks about is um, working out more, being more active, gym memberships. You know, the other day before um, we got out for Christmas break, we had people, the gyms in the area actually bring us carrot and broccoli and vegetable trays to the school to advertise for their gyms because they know they know we're having all the candy and and christmas cookies are they mad at us no they just know that people want to work out and be better you more fit more fun well anyway exercise more is (laughs) ding that is the number one answer on the list is exercise more do you guys want to commit to that yes yeah <laughs> You're so excited. Yeah, so I guess we can go back to this and hold each other accountable and be like, you said it. How about you, Sam? On the podcast. Uh, so here's the thing. I exercised none in 2019, so this is an easy so one. So the bar so, is yeah. low. Actually, the bar is going to be high when I do overhead press, Courtney. Oh. Wah, wah, wah. Number right. two. <laughs> okay. Next guess. Most common top 10 New Year's resolutions. I'm going to go with eating healthier. Eating healthier yeah. is not on the list. Are you serious? I was going to say take I vitamins. Oh. Don't people always want to take more vitamins? Is that one? But um, no. Oh. But number two is lose weight. Okay. Okay. That's is combined. Lose weight. Okay. Yes. Last year, I bought Ollie um, gummy vitamins whenever it became the new year. Done. Are those like children? They go ones? on sale at like Target mm-hmm. and stuff. Mm-hmm. Oh. No, they're not children's ones. They just... And mimic children's wives. Oh, okay. Uh, cool. Every time you get a haircut, you lose weight. So, haircut oh. 2020, check, sign me up. There it is. Okay. Yep. Okay. <laughs> Next. Go outside more. That sounds good. Travel oh, no. more oh, is yeah. number hey. nine. Oh, so no, yeah, we're pretty traveling good at this. Okay. From the door to the car counts. It does count. Okay. Yeah. Something about learning. I feel like there's probably a okay. yeah. school. I like that. So we've given up on buzzing in apparently, but yes. Oh, sorry. Number four is learn a new skill or hobby. Okay. Okay. So is there a new skill or hobby? Underwater basket weaving. I want to learn how to play guitar. Oh, underwater? Yeah. No, not underwater. That would be counterproductive. But I feel like since I am a Christian man... Mm-hmm. It's you like an obligation. You have yeah, to know. I missed it in college, but it's, it's an obligation. It's just four chords. G-A-D? C? C. Oh, I was going to say. Hey. Hey. Okay. Good job. Check. All right. Next. So far, you guys have exercise more, lose weight, learn a new skill or hobby, and travel more. Spend less time on my phone. Oh, that's good. That is not on here. It because should be, though. <laughs> sure. Okay. This list is <laughs> on the internet. So. Uh, so they want to encourage you. Yeah. Right. They're going to be on the internet more. Do less. Number one. Do less lists. I love lists. No, there's nothing about less screen time, unfortunately. Should I say that there is? Oh, that's number one. That's what we encourage. Mm -hmm. Spend more time with family. Spend more time with family is number eight with family and friends. All right. You want me to give you one? Yes. 
Number three is get organized. Ooh. Oh, right. Okay. So Courtney. So become Courtney. Or, well, <laughs> is that what is that what we need to do? Just become Courtney. Yes. So she taught a workshop mm-hmm. on how to get organized. Oh, I would yep. do that. That'd be fun. People could come in. You could get school supplies when you come to a little organization <laughs> workshop. That'd be so fun. I'd do that. And are you ready for number five? Is a little bit cringe. Save more money. More oh, money. you got number six. Save more money slash spend less money. But the loophole is gift cards don't count as money. So, oh, and that's my loophole is I would use my money to buy gift cards, right? It's true. Because that's buying gifts. You want me to be less generous? List? I don't think so. <laughs> is that okay? okay? <laughs> and then I use those gift cards to then buy other stuff that I don't need. So that's brilliant. That is my resolution loophole. Okay. Here's the cringy one. Number five is live life to the fullest. Oh. Sure. What does that even mean? Okay. It means to eat a lot all the time. Yeah, but it says lose weight is number two. I know, but to Live be full. to the fullest. You know, when you're thinking about large fry or medium fry at Chick-fil-A. Large. Go large. Right. Every I time. I so. It's go a very small upcharge, so. Yeah. Okay. You want me to read through all top 10? Yeah, go ahead and read through them all. Number one on the top 10 most common New Year's resolutions, exercise more. Number two, lose weight. Number three, get organized. Number four, learn a new skill or hobby. Five, live life to the fullest. Number six, save money. Number seven, quit smoking. Number eight, yeah. Wait, does that count as vaping? Yes. Ooh. Number eight, spend more time with family and friends. Number nine, travel more. And number 10, read more. Well, I just read this list, so. 2020. And so now we're going to talk a little bit about reconciliation. And if you were able to hear our interview with Serge, then you were able to hear an incredible story of reconciliation. And if you haven't listened to that, then I would encourage you to go back after this episode and give it a listen because you just hear a beautiful story of um, someone who reconciled and gave forgiveness to a group of people whose family members killed his own family members in front of his eyes and uh, who he was sought after to be killed by them as well. And then he meets them with grace and the gospel and reconciliation. And it's unbelievable. And so coming off of that podcast, we were just talking and we were like, we want to have a podcast that focuses on what does this look like for us? How can we reconcile with relationships, with family members, with friends, coworkers, children, whoever that is. And how does this practically look like? What does the Bible have to say about that? And how can we um, reflect God's image and character in reconciliation? And so we're going to jump right on into that. Well, since it's a new year, uh, this topic is on our hearts too, because um, reconciliation is all about renewal. It's all about trying to um, not just repair what might be broken, but create something new and stronger even. And so there's a lot in the Bible. There's just so much in scripture and what Jesus taught and lived out on this topic. So that's what we're going to be focusing on today. So let's start and just define what is reconciliation in case some people are unfamiliar with that word or it's a little ambiguous. Is it the exact same as forgiveness? What are y'all's thoughts? Um, so my idea of reconcile is either one of two things, just like forgiveness. It's, you know, if you have an issue with somebody, it's working it out together. But then also the context of like having something make sense. Like when I think of reconcile, I think, how do you look at something in the world that doesn't make sense compared to what it says in the Bible? And you have to reconcile those two things. You're trying to make the Bible make sense based on what you're experiencing in the world. 
And so I think those two things are actually more similar than we realize. Yeah, I think, I think that's true. And I think there's like an additional step almost with reconciliation um, that with the forgiveness, it's, it's almost as if someone has done something against you that you would not hold that against them mm-hmm. anymore. Um, but then with a reconciliation is like an additional step of doing something actively to repair that relationship to be what it once was before that hurt happened. Yeah, and that's what the definition even shares is that the word reconcile literally means to restore unto. And so there is that restoration and rebuilding of what once was or just repairing instead of just a forgiveness. And I know a lot of people have um, taken the quote, forgive and forget, or I forgive, but I don't forget. And it's like, okay, this is not reconciliation. That's not what this looks like. And so how do we make that in our relationships with people? So there's actually a really direct example of this that Jesus gives in one of his parables, the parable of the unforgiving servant or the unforgiving debtor is in Matthew chapter 18. Um, So essentially there's a kingdom and there's a master and a servant and the servant owes a massive debt to the kingdom. He's been lent Mm. a lot And so he goes to the master on the due date and begs him. He says, I cannot possibly come up with the amount that I owe you. The master, it says in verse 27, was filled with pity for him and he released him and forgave his debt. I want to pause here to say, I think one of the most important things about reconciliation is looking at it through the lens of grace. Because as Courtney mentioned, there's a common phrase, well, forgive, but don't forget, right? Because you want to say, I forgive you and we can still be friends, but I'm not going to let this go. I'm going to remember Mm -hmm. that you did this to me. That's not what you see in grace, which is completely unjustified mercy. Hmm. So the parable goes on to say that then the servant who had been forgiven went to a fellow servant who owed him less. So this other servant owed the servant that was just forgiven by the master a debt as well. It says in verse 28, he grabbed him by the throat and demanded instant payment. His fellow servant fell down before him and begged for more time, but the servant who had been forgiven by the master refused. So when some of the servants saw this, they went back to the king and they told him what happened. And the king was furious. In verse 32, it says, you evil servant, the king said, I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? And the angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured until he had paid his entire debt. Jesus mm-hmm. concludes this parable by saying in verse 35, that's what my heavenly father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. Hmm. So that's, that's kind big. of intense. That's super intense. Yeah. It stems from, like the parable is, is talking about it, stemming from the acknowledging of what you have been forgiven of. Essentially, it says, if I have been forgiven of this, how can I not forgive someone else who has in, in, in comparison to what I've been forgiven of is so trivial. Mm-hmm. And so it just seems like the inability to acknowledge how much you've been forgiven of. It's, it's crazy. Right. And I think that's what we're trying to kind of examine here with what Jesus's heart and what he's trying to show from the kingdom of God perspective. Here's how you need to see reconciliation in your relationships, because the first reconciliation that we should keep in mind with this is that we have been reconciled in God's eyes. And now, because of Jesus' sacrifice, I mean, he's forgiven us of our sin debt, which was unpayable. So now, how do we reconcile that truth with each other, with the debts that we owe each other or the things we need to forgive each other for? Yeah. 
And that's, that's a God-sized question. Right. And only a God-sized ability to do. Like when we look at the life of Serge, when he shared with us, mm-hmm. come what happened in his life of coming to the understanding of his forgiveness by the Lord um, towards him and for his sin, uh, that he just felt the grace of God in his life that was so overwhelming that it would give him the ability to forgive someone whose family was responsible for killing his own family. That's, that's monumental and could only happen uh, by the grace of God through that understanding of forgiveness. Mm-hmm. And that's why in Second Corinthians 5, we see this laid out pretty clearly, the ministry and the message of reconciliation and what we've been called into. And that's the gospel that we are sinful people that are not holy or righteous or capable of being in the presence of God by our own earning, but instead someone needed to come bridge that and create an opportunity of reconciliation so that we can be in relationship with God. And that's Jesus Christ in second Corinthians five 17 starts and says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. And I just think this is uh, just every time I read it and am reminded of it, I just get really fired up and excited because this is so beautiful that the Lord has not only given us the ministry of reconciliation, but that he has entrusted us and he doesn't have to make us a part of this, but he chooses to use us. And so we then are given the message. We're not capable of doing the ministry. We aren't capable of bringing someone to be reconciled with God, but we can share the message of, hey, even in a relationship or a broken friendship or whatever that is, hey, you maybe did wrong me and maybe don't deserve this. However, I've been given this message of reconciliation that's so far beyond the situation that in the light of that, it is so easy for me to come before you and give you grace and then point you to the greater reconciliation that the Lord has for us and then allow him to do the work in that. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And that's why it's so important to, instead of just burn your bridges and walk away, Mm -hmm. Jesus is saying, you'll miss out on the kingdom if you do that. Mm -hmm. Um, If you just leave things and just cut them off and say, you know what, I'm going to cut my losses and move on rather than attempt to reconcile this relationship that's fallen apart, then you're missing out on an opportunity to get a glimpse of the heart of God, not just for us, but for his kingdom. And that would be the worst thing that could come from a situation like that is to miss out on God. And I think where this goes wrong is when we are in an opportunity of reconciliation or know we are supposed to step into that, but we still believe that we are entitled to something. And that's in um, the mes- the passage that Sam was just sharing as well. And it's easy to hold on to entitlement and hold people hostage for what they have done. And that's not what we have been called to do. Yeah. And, it's, and it's silly. You can like read stories. Um, or read the news about just different dysfunctions in families or between different uh, groups of people that there was something that happened in the past, uh, maybe to like their ancestors or grandparents that this um, other group of people Mm -hmm. or this family had done. 
and neither of them remember exactly what happened, but they just know they did something and so we don't like them. And then it just forms this divisive culture. Mm -hmm. um, And that's on a large scale, but even within families, right? Just little petty things that that we do to one another because we're sinful and broken people. um, If we allow that to just fester and just build walls between us, eventually we're just going to be closed off. And that's exactly what Satan wants to do is to isolate and to create bitterness against one another uh, because where redemption comes in, where reconciliation comes in, relationships are restored. And that's the exact opposite of what Satan actually wants. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that's what in Hebrews 12, it says, we are called not to hold on to any root of bitterness. And I think in family situations and friendships, whatever it is, that's so often what happens is people even forget the details. They don't understand. They don't remember all of the things that led to this, but they gave Satan a foothold or allowed a root of bitterness to be planted. And it just grew and grew and grew to the point where you're blinded to the option of reconciliation right. and it just has to come with complete surrender to the Lord. Yeah. In Ephesians 4 31 through 32, it speaking of bitterness and what it does, it, it says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God yeah. in Christ also has forgiven you. And so this is really difficult that we are to emulate the love and forgiveness of Christ um, of what he has done for us. Um, and it's only by the spirit. And so that's what we've been called to. And that's really difficult. Unfortunately, what, uh, some listeners might be thinking when they hear this message is, but you don't know what mm-hmm. I've been through. You don't know about my problem or my yeah. issue or my fight. And so how do you address that? How do we actually, you know, we've talked about what reconciliation is and why it's important, but how do you take what the Bible says and take this example that the Lord's given us and actually walk that out? So let's start off with um, people you need to forgive. And this is what Sam was just talking about is how do you process through forgiving people who have really hurt you deeply and maybe over years time and um, repetitive things that have really hurt your identity or um, change the way that you walk with the Lord. And so there are some people that have very deep wounds. And so what does that look like? And this is a really challenging one. And again, I think what we really want to get across um, to you listening is we're not belittling your hurt. Um, in fact, if anything, we want to validate that and say the God that we're talking about is so big that the depth of your hurt, even if it's to your soul, to the point where it's challenging your identity and your ability to even connect with the Lord, that's the kind of gap that God can bridge. That's mm-hmm. the kind of wound that only our God can heal. And that's why it's so important for us to keep coming back to the gospel and keep coming back to the scriptural lessons on it. But with the first one, people you need to forgive. So these are people that have harmed you, that have offended you in some way. So what is the biblical teaching on how do you do that? What is the process when it's even maybe awkward to, to approach these people? Is it always on us to approach them? I think that there needs to be a level of healing that takes place in a lot of these. If it's something smaller than, and we're a believer, then yes, I think we are the ones that approach them. And one of the things that I always encourage um, students with and try to practice myself as well is when you're, if it's a smaller situation or say there's some drama that has occurred to always go 
present um, yourself to someone else with humility and understanding and to take any ownership. If there's any part that you have played, which I think most times there is, when you start off with taking ownership of, hey, before I say anything, I want to tell you I'm, I'm really sorry for how I handled this or the way that I communicated this to you. And I know that probably wasn't fair. And I also encourage students to really focus on I feel statements. So Mm -hmm. focusing on the way something made you feel versus what they did. So it's not, you did this, you did this, you did this, but Hey, this is something, and it made me feel this way. And, um, I just like to make amends with you and handle it this way. But when you approach someone like that, it brings their defenses down because they aren't expecting you to talk that way. And so you're going to have a much healthier, better conversation than one that's met with uh, feeling like they're attacked. Yeah. Um, What I tell lower school students when they're in conflict is that humility disarms people. Mm -hmm. When you have a conflict with someone and you approach that person even if you think you're completely in the right, even if your intention is to work it out, you know, they all of a sudden their defenses are up. But when you approach them instead of saying, hey, here's how you hurt me, but instead say, here's what I might have done wrong, you know, come at it arms open and humble, it disarms them. And something in us clicks, I think, in response to that and says, okay, well, their intention is not to hurt me. Their intention is to fix me or to help me. And that desire to serve people really is a huge step. I think humility is the key to every different area of reconciliation. I think, too, for people, you need to forgive the smaller situations, like 10 out of 10 times when this is handled well, it ends up bringing you feel closer to that person because you are able to create resolution together and specifically when it's with another believer. But I think there's a way to find common ground with anyone. And whenever I've submitted it to the Lord and been prayerful, I just always find myself um feeling closer to that person. But then too, whenever it's the more deep things, just a couple of things that I have used to find um, healing and just practical steps. I think being in good community is huge, finding people to be vulnerable with, to process through. And maybe that looks like finding a counselor and um, meeting with them and talking through because a lot of times when there is some root of bitterness, it goes into so many more areas of your life than is maybe visible to you. And you may need an outsider to point those things out. And I think it's good to say that all three of us have experienced reconciliation Mm -hmm. um, in the deeper situations. And a quote that really stuck with me was that not forgiving someone is like drinking poison and waiting for the other person to die. Mm -hmm. And when I heard that, it just made me realize like, I I am hurting myself by not forgiving this person. I'm not hurting them. And if that's my intention, it's failing. And it's instead drawing a wedge between my relationship with the Lord. Yeah. In a way, it feels like whenever you forgive someone, if they've done something wrong, that you kind of like let them off the hook or they get away with doing something. Mm -hmm. And I think that our sense of justice or fairness combats against that um, because we can really justify in our mind, like, no, 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 no. They, They don't deserve my forgiveness, right? Like they don't deserve it. Yeah. Uh, it's not fair. And so forgiveness is, is incredibly difficult because it goes against everything that's natural for us. Um, until or unless we reach that awareness of, okay, but if I want fairness in this relationship, then I want fairness in every relationship. 
And then you think of your fairness in relationship with the Lord in your mm-hmm. transgressions and sins. Like, okay, do I really want fairness now when it comes with the Lord? Or would I like grace? Would I want mercy? Do I want forgiveness now? And if you can come to that conclusion of, man, I want forgiveness and grace because I know what I have done and I want to be able to extend that to others, then you can reevaluate, okay, this might not seem fair, but neither is God's grace towards me. That's unfairly given to me because I don't deserve it. The second area of reconciliation that we have uh, realized is important to talk about is people that you need to seek forgiveness from. So people that you have offended or wounded, what is the value in trying to repair that? For those who don't know, uh, I am a dad of three little boys, and I don't think there's been anything else in my life that has made me more aware of what forgiveness can accomplish in relationships than with my boys. Mm -hmm. It is just very evident whenever they get a sense of me being angry or disappointed or upset or frustrated um, in their countenance towards me. Um, And it has really just brought awareness to my heart of what sin does in my life with other people too. And so an example is if the boys are doing something, which they're five and they're three, um, and there's moments where I don't respond in a way that I wish I would have with patience and kindness and grace and mercy and love and all of those things, but I just respond with frustration. And, And there's just an immediate sense of, I shouldn't have done that. And there's an immediate sense of my boys retracting a little bit from mm-hmm. me um, and being like, oh, daddy's upset. I don't want to be around that. And in that moment, there's a part of me that wants to justify my action mm. of saying, well, you know what? I have been responding kindly and graciously and patiently all of these times, but this is enough. Right. And I can justify that. No, no, no. Me raising my voice in that moment was justified because I have given you grace. I have given you my patience and you have exhausted it. But then I have to come to an understanding of, but God's grace is not exhaustive. Mm. God's patience is not exhaustive. And so there's a realization to me that my boy's version of God they see as a father will be my relationship and how I portray Christ to them. And for us as Christians, the most Christ-like person that a non-believer or fellow believer will witness is another Christian. And so you are carrying around the persona of Christ to those who don't know him. And so your response to them in times of frustration or needing of forgiveness will bear witness to how they perceive the Lord. Right. And it points back to why is reconciliation so important? You mentioned sometimes we even feel justified, like, no, I don't need to. What are you talking about? Like, they should just get over it. Like, why is it on me to do it? And so that brings up the important question, would you rather be right or would you rather be righteous? Mm. because sometimes we get the satisfaction of saying, no, I know that I am in the right on this. I know that I don't need to apologize. And that may very well be true. And it may be someone has a, maybe just a, a different perspective on it. And they were hurt by a false perspective, but reconciliation can even sometimes look like just revealing to them the truth. And that still requires you to go to them. And a phrase that I think of is burning bridges, block streams. And so when you think of a bridge, it's usually going over like a stream or river or body of water. And so when you burn that bridge, when you choose to just say, you know what? No, it would be too hard to go and restore that relationship. It would be easier to just let it fall apart and just move on. Okay. Well, when that falls apart, it goes somewhere. The wreckage of that goes somewhere. 
And the stream is referring to your ability to minister, your ability to witness. As Taylor, you pointed out, your ability to be a loving father can even sometimes, if you just allow that hurt to go unrestored or unreconciled, they'll look at you through that lens of, oh, I don't know, there's some hesitancy there. So then the third area we've identified for reconciliation is actually maybe not a direct conflict, but someone that's in one of your areas of influence. So maybe it's someone at work with you or um, someone that's in your church or just someone that's around you has done something that has caused you an offense. Um, so it's people that you're not reconciled with because their sin has not yet been addressed. And I think the first thing even before we get here is really examining our own hearts before the Lord and making mm-hmm. sure that we aren't bringing our own ideologies or thoughts or selfishness into the situation, but it really is for the best of that other person. In Matthew 18, it's the parable of the lost sheep where Jesus talks about a shepherd that leaves the 99 to find the one and then rejoices to find the one that willingly went astray. And we're set up with that when we give this picture of reconciliation. And that's how Jesus leads into this is what to do if a brother sins against you or is living in a lifestyle of sin. And so it starts off in verse 15 with um, Jesus saying that it's one-on-one telling them of their fault. And so guys, what does that really look like in um, a conversational setting of addressing someone like this? I think sometimes, unfortunately, it's not so easy because they may not even realize that what they're doing mm-hmm. is wrong or causing yeah. offense. And that's when it gets really tricky. Yeah. Um, but thankfully, Scripture does equip us with how to follow through in that situation. But it it might look like a situation at the school where a student's behavior is causing frustration to others because, you know, we have a culture here where students are kind of trying to pursue a Christ-like life, but maybe one is... Um, their interpretation of how to live that out is not the same as the rest. And so it's causing offense and you get judgment. You get this atmosphere of, oh, did you hear about what this person's doing? And so rather than going to them and approaching that person and having the conversation, it's easier to just grumble about them behind their back and say, oh, what they're doing is wrong. Okay, but are they even aware that what they're Mm -hmm. doing is wrong? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we, we've had conversation this, this year with, with students who, like you were saying, Sam, weren't even aware of what they're particularly saying. And so, yeah, it's, it's addressing it, just wanting to get them one-on-one, whether it's like going in after class or after school and just saying, Hey man, can we talk? Um, Hey, you know, the other day, like whenever you said this, I'm not sure if you were meaning it this way, but man, that, that really just hurt whenever you said that. Yeah. And I, I just wanted to let you know that like, Hey man, could we talk about that? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the response might be like, oh, I had no idea. Like that was even right. a thing. And right. I love what you said. Where you said, I'm not sure if you meant this. I don't want that to go unnoticed because mm-hmm. that is the humility we talked about. You're entering into that conflict, not with saying, let me tell you why you're wrong and kind of lay down the law. Cause it just comes off as condescending. Right. Well, you're assuming you know. the worst of that person also. Exactly. You're assuming so, their motive as being the worst one. Rather than yeah. that, if you're going to them and saying... I'm not sure if you meant this. It's instantly opening the door to them to say, no, it's not what I meant at all. And you could say, oh, I'm sorry. Well, just so you know, here's how I feel. And, you know, I'm, I'm sorry if I misread things. And the what not to do is to go in and just tell them what they meant by it. Yeah. And I'll say this until I'm blue in the face, but these conversations are not conversations that should be had over social media or texting. Yeah. And yep. I mean, that's uh, it's just asking for that to have a screenshot that's saved forever, sent around, or miscommunicated. I mean, 
I'm sure all of the Absolutely. parents have told their kids about how tone cannot be yeah. recognized in text messages, but it, it's an easier way out. And it's what our students are being trained to do in this world yeah. is to either avoid situations or if you have to, then do it when you can hide behind a screen. And so yeah. that's always an encouragement I give to everyone is, Hey, if they, if they start trying to have this conversation, then just text them back and be like, I would love to talk to you in person tomorrow. Or how about you call me? But until then let's wait. Yeah. There's a simple phrase that, that I like to use of real conversations happen in real life. Mm -hmm. Yep. And so, (laughs) so good. So the second type of reconciliation in this kind of scenario is where they are aware of what they're doing and there is intent, but um, there could be a variety of reasons behind that. Um, Usually the intent is not to hurt, but sometimes it can look like that. They could be out um, to just say, hey, this is how I feel. I don't care how other people, what they think about that or how they react to that. And so does our reaction and does our follow through to be consistent with this biblical teaching, does that look differently in that scenario? Well, here at Liberty, we want to establish a culture and have a culture that we, we are held to high standards, um, that, that we've been uh, put in a community um, who upholds the values um, relationally of how we treat one another according to the gospel of Jesus Christ, that we would live a modeled life of forgiveness and reconciliation. And for those who would not want to extend forgiveness or even acknowledge that they did something wrong or if they did something wrong and they're like, so that can, that can be a real mentality of, so what does it, mm-hmm. what does it matter to me that I hurt you? You know, how do, how do we address that? And I think the Bible is very clear in that, uh, in Matthew 18 and verse 16, where it says, but if they will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. And so, do you think that those two or three witnesses would need to be like your friends that are in your corner that are on your side or who do, what do you think would be the wise thing to do and how you address that? Yeah, I'd, I'd love to share the correct way to do this sure. and a uh, personal <laughs> story have the incorrect way to do this okay. just for kicks and giggles. But um, the correct way to do this, I think, is first of all, the person you're addressing, give them the expectation that you're bringing someone or mm. two Not people to with you. Them. Yeah, don't blindside them yeah. and explain your heart, like speak the truth in love and that you care about them so that they're not feeling ganged up on. And you also want to make sure that it's not just your two besties that are coming mm. with you who have your back, but you're bringing two people who are neutral to help mediate the conversation and who also have the common goal of restoration for this mm. person. Yeah. And this is a story of what not to do. Um, when I was in high school, I had not did not have this whole Matthew 18 thing down, nor did all of my friends. Okay. Um, and we had a sweet friend who had been dating a boy for a while who we did not think was good news mm-hmm. and had talked to her about it kind of individually, not with the purpose of Matthew 18, but in just a high school best friends way. And instead, the way that we addressed her was we were all just going to go over to somebody's house to hang out. And secretly, the rest of the group knew that we had a planned, essentially, intervention (laughs) for our friend. And Did you make banners and stuff like in the room you brought them to? No, but I'm surprised we didn't. Like, (laughs) that's how (laughs) incorrectly we did this. Um, We literally had a basket and we made everybody put their cell phones in the basket. Like... No joke. We're like, like okay, no one can be on their phones to have this conversation. Is it like a case for their phone, like Uh a basket uh case? Right. Yeah, yeah. And then we 
basically just reiterated how she should not be dating this boy and how oh, no. we had collected evidence about how he was just oh, like the worst. And, oh yeah, slideshow power. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> but still, I mean, whenever I look back, I'm just like, that was just so incorrect. It was hurtful. I'm sure she did not feel loved from the situation, even though it was because we loved her. There really were some, there was some brokenness and some friendships over that. Um, praise God, all of those girls were either at my wedding or in my wedding. They're still great friends mm. of mine. Wow. So there's more forgiveness and reconciliation that came afterward. But that's just a funny example of how to absolutely not do this and instead to make people feel valued and cared for in the wow. process. Yeah. So in the case where they just absolutely flat out refuse to accept, even if you and some neutral witnesses, if you, let's say you do this as to the book as possible, there's still a chance that this person might be so convicted and that what they're doing is right and that, man, you guys just don't get it. What do you do in that scenario? So in Matthew 18, verse 17, it says, if they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And knowing that Liberty Christian is not a church, we can still have the same type of structure where if you were to come to Courtney or if you come to Sam or Alex or myself um, at the very beginning about this situation as well, I was saying, hey, I don't know what to do with this. This is the type of counsel that we would give you. We want to empower um, our students to be agents of reconciliation. Mm-hmm. Um, we want them to be able to follow what the Bible says and treating one another and, and walking through this. And sometimes it's difficult, but we want to be there along the way. But if it gets to a point where even through counsel, of, of us telling them of how to approach this and just wisdom and going about it. If that person still refuses, uh, now we would want to be able to step in as well. Mm. Um, or maybe through our structure, it might go to one of the principles if it needs to, um, whatever that looks like. Um, but I think that would kind of be the next step. And the same way that the purpose of you bringing this to the church is not for judgment or condemnation or any of those things, but it's because the church can only support and encourage a person of the body of Christ if they know that they're struggling and if they know what's going on. And that's the same reason why we would want that to come to us is so that we can come alongside another student so that we can be pointing them to truth and encouraging them and taking whatever steps are necessary so that they can um, find healing or uh, reconciliation. Yeah. And here, this is just a, a public announcement for parents and students and families of anybody here at Liberty um, is that here in the spiritual life department, like we want to know what's going on Mm -hmm. in your life. Like we want to know if there's hurt that's going on. We want to be involved. We want to be praying alongside of you. We want to be a resource. And so don't feel like this is too trivial or this is just not needing involvement from us. Like we want to be, that's why we're here is so that we can walk alongside you in these things. And so please come to us whenever you have anything that you uh, feel like you want to talk about in these areas. Absolutely. And so finally, in the hopefully very rare scenario, but uh, we say often that we are all imperfect people. And unfortunately what that means is we're imperfect people. And so there are situations where even if you follow this very biblical protocol and you've um, gone to them yourself in humility, you have brought a neutral party or someone that can be trusted by both parties as a witness. Even if you've gone to somebody who acts as an elder, so as a pastor or someone who can kind of speak life into the situation. And then after all of that, um, this person has still 
not recognize that they need to reconcile the situation. They refuse to reconcile. What do you do then? And that's where in verse 17, it says, and if he refuses to listen, even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. And just for clarity, what this is saying is let them be to you like a non-believer. And that doesn't mean, okay, they are shunned from this community and we're cutting them off. There should be um, empathy here because they clearly may not understand the gospel if this is their response. And so now we're going to treat them the same way we pursue a non-believer, the same way we love them and share the gospel with them and um, portray Jesus Christ's love and desire and pray for them to understand the gospel. Right. So all this is really suggesting is keeping that person at the kind of distance where you love them from afar, as a phrase that we use, in that um, everyone they're close to, they seem to be just inflicting destruction on and pain. And so this person still needs Jesus. As Gordon said, we don't shun them. We don't close them out. Um, But they are sowing seeds of bitterness into anyone who tries to help. They don't just refuse to listen, but they're causing more conflicts. Um, I think it's interesting sometimes that we see God as a last resort of a, well, we've tried everything else, now it's God's turn. And um, that doesn't really make sense with how much Jesus stressed to just go to him always and to put him as the first priority and go to him Mm -hmm. first, and that all of these steps have been Christ-like. But in this situation, this is when you say, okay, God, we've made every reasonable effort and even some unreasonable efforts to try to get this person to see the truth and to see the light, and they are still just causing hurt instead of being willing to listen and find common ground. And so, and that's the case where you surrender it to God completely and say, there's, you know, for whatever reason, God in his wisdom has decided that I'm not the conduit to restore this person or to restore this relationship. Um, God must have some other plan in mind. And I think it's good to note too, that obviously not every relationship that you seek to ask forgiveness from, to um, forgive whatever the situation, they're not always going to um, desire reconciliation and want the restoration. And we aren't capable of changing them. And that's not the goal. But instead, our goal should be that they can be changed by the Lord. And that's through prayer and just petitioning on their behalf. Yeah. Reconciliation is not an easy thing. And I think that's one thing that God saw fit in his word to hit on so hard and so frequently is because he knew how difficult it is for us as imperfect human beings to Mm -hmm. maintain healthy relationships that look like him. And so he was giving us all of the practical things and the spiritual things that we need because reconciliation is very difficult, but it's very necessary because you cannot have the kingdom of God unless you understand what it is you've been forgiven of and show that same grace to others. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so we just want to close on even just ourselves and thinking about and praying through. And we want to to challenge and encourage all of you who are listening uh, to think of someone who you need to forgive and also who you need to seek forgiveness from, that we would be instruments of God's reconciliation um, in our communities, in our households, in our families, and for the kingdom of God. Okay, so to finish out, do you guys have any resolutions for this new year? Yeah, I think that my resolution for this year is to not drift as much. And what I mean by that is to get like easily distracted by things that really don't matter that occupy my time. And so I just feel like I'm not really going a whole lot of places sometimes. You know what I mean? And so like I I watch like a random video on YouTube and it turns into like three hours. 
And uh, I don't want to do that as much. The YouTube hole. We've all been there. Uh, It's like a vortex. It's crazy. Mm. So not to drift and to really just be more focused on the things that really matter. Yeah. So mine's actually the same resolution is to be, I know, right? Um, Is to be less distracted and more focused. I know um, even when I'm like, when I'm at church on Sunday mornings, I feel like I can't pay attention for five minutes without starting to think about something the pastor said in the sermon. Think about, ooh, how can I teach that? How can I been there? Yeah. I think (laughs) I think all of us can do that. Uh Ooh, how can I turn this into an illustration? And and all of a sudden you realize that you've been daydreaming Mm -hmm. about doing ministry instead of being ministered to. So Mm, allowing myself to like receive ministry. Um and just being less distracted in the other areas as well. I think mine correlates with y'all's, um, but it's to be disciplined in rest. And so having a disciplined Sabbath rest with the Lord and being intentional to stop and not be on technology and to invest in relationships. And I have a lot of friends outside of um, Texas. So being intentional to connect with them Mm. and answer text messages more quickly because I fail in that arena very often. Um, And so just being better about resting so that while I am working that I can um, just fully pour out there. Love that. And I resolve to do more podcast episodes. Hey, I can do, do that it too. Yeah, let's do it. Woo. Thanks for joining us on the SLT podcast. If you have any questions or comments, please feel free to contact us at spirituallife at mylcs.com.